Chats from the Blog Cabin. Welcome to a brand new episode. Welcome back to another edition of Chats from the Blog Cabin. Today I'm joined by Chris, and we're going to be talking about biblical mindset about money. But before we get into that, tell us who you are. Introduce yourself. Oh, hi, Melissa. It's great to be here. Uh, a little bit about myself. I have lived in Connecticut most of my life, but I was born in Queens, New York, and I still consider myself a native New Yorker. I always like to say that I don't have the New York accent anymore, but I still have the New York attitude. Career-wise, I've spent the last 20 plus years in the financial services IT world. I started out as a quality analyst where I was be uh, testing computer systems improvements and bug fixes, and then ended up as a business analyst where I would be working with subject matter experts and programmers and testers to design the fixes and improvements to companies' computer systems. And while I'm looking for my next gig, I've decided to uh, start up a little side hustle as a Christian speaker. And as for hobbies, uh, personal finance has been an interest of mine uh, for over 20 years. And I suppose it is a character flaw that I can be materialistic and selfish. And I guess that's why I tend to think about money quite a bit. I'm always asking questions, trying to think things through about how to maximize the money coming in, uh, but even more importantly, uh, trying to minimize the money going out. So tell us a little bit. So your interest is personal finance. That's something that a lot of people aren't interested in. How did you get interested in that? Well, I had always thought about money. Money was always very important to me. And like I said, it's probably a character flaw on my part. One of many. But about 25 years ago, I discovered Dave Ramsey on the radio. It was on some fledgling podunk barely audible radio station, probably out of Springfield or maybe uh, Holyoke, Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. And this was before he got big and nationally known. And for your listeners who may not be familiar with him, Dave Ramsey hosts a personal finance radio call-in show. And, and he, he is a Christian and he hosts his show with a biblical perspective. And, and when I discovered Dave Ramsey, that is when things began to click because this was the first person that I encountered 
who said out loud on the radio, you know, I, ideas that had been in my head for years that were so contrary to the messages that I was getting from my friends and family and the popular culture. And, and one of those ideas was about debt. And I have a very basic understanding of debt. And that is, however much you borrow, you have to pay it back, mm -hmm. plus a little extra. And in some cases, a lot extra. And so whatever you're buying with that borrowed money, well, in the end, you're actually paying more for it with the interest. And that just didn't make sense to me. And nobody could make it make sense to me. Every argument I had with people always ended the same way. It ended with the other person saying, well, that, that's, that's just how it is. Well, well, that's just what you do. Oh, okay. And so I learned to just kind of keep my mouth shut about it. But, but plus, what if something happens and you don't have the money when the debt comes around? Mm -hmm. And I'm reminded of the movie Goodfellas. I, I don't know if, you, if you've seen it, but there is a scene in that movie where the narrator describes the mafia's policy toward borrowed money. He says, oh, business is down? Too bad. Pay me. Oh, mm -hmm. you, had a, you had a fire? Too bad. Pay me. Oh, the place got hit by lightning? Too bad. Pay me. Except they, they, did, they didn't mm -hmm. say too bad. They, they said something else. But oh, yeah. you, you get the idea. Yeah, that's so true. And so you actually have a story of how you were able to, to using the principles that you learned, pay off your condo during unemployment. Oh, so, yes. So talk about that story, because I think that's going to resonate more with people than anything else. Well, as an IT contractor, you are always in constant or what I like to call re-election mode. You are always looking for that next job. Because just about every IT job these days is temporary. It's, it's task or it's project-based. Usually, they're less than a year. And so at the end of January of last year, 2020, I finished up a two-month contract uh, to help with open enrollment for a health insurance company. Mm -hmm. Now, this was after I had already been unemployed for four months. So my contract ended in January of 2020, and then COVID happened, mm -hmm. and everything changed, and it became nearly impossible to find a job, and people who already had a job were losing their job, and, and Connecticut had, and still has, a very high unemployment rate. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to lie, it was a stressful time for me. And I, I had to remind myself over and over, and frankly, other people had to remind me over and over again, that God is my provider. Mm -hmm. it's, not, it's not a government program, not a corporation that doesn't care about me, not some boss who doesn't care or may not care, but... God is my provider, and he is going to provide me with what I need, not what I want, 
always, but, but what I but what I need, he'll provide it when I need it, and not a moment before. And and he provides it not because, well, yes, because he is loving, but also because he wants to provide me with what I need in order to do the work that he has planned for me to do. He doesn't give me the things I need just so I can just go do whatever I want. Mm-hmm. He, he has plans for what he gives me, and it's my job uh, to execute on those plans. And thankfully, God did provide because, thankfully, my wife was working at the time as a bank teller, so she was an essential employee. Mm-hmm. Uh, thankfully, we had an emergency fund to rely on. Thankfully, there were the stimulus payments from last year. Thankfully, there was unemployment insurance. Thankfully, there was a partial reimbursement of a health care expense. And all of that combined helped to keep us afloat. And at the time, we were actually very close to paying off our 1,100 square foot condo. Uh, We had been paying down some extra principal over the last several months, and my wife and I decided uh, to keep up that momentum. And I realize that some folks may question that decision, Mm -hmm. especially since I am out of work in the middle of a pandemic, and who knows when I'm going to find work again. And in retrospect, that may not have been the best decision to make. But I really wanted that monthly mortgage bill out of my life. (laughs) (laughs) And plus, every dollar of principal that we pay now, that's interest that we don't have to pay later. Mm. And and so we, we, we made the decision. We paid the condo off last fall. And it felt so good to make that last payment. And finally, at the beginning of November of last year, open enrollment came around again. And the team that I had worked with the previous year, which, by the way, was a fantastic team with a fantastic boss that I am so grateful for the opportunity to work with them last year, I got to work with them again. And they brought me back for another three months. So I had employment for a while. And now I'm on the market again and and looking forward to whatever's next. So a lot of people with COVID, they were like, oh, well, I don't have to pay like with the mortgage rates and like a lot of people with electric bills and that moratorium. I know in North Carolina, do they have it across in Connecticut as well? Like moratoriums where they don't have to pay the bills if they were out of work or they didn't have to pay. I think it's a light bill, like electricity, heating, um, maybe the essential bills and the rent as well. Did you have that in Connecticut? I know there were some programs. Uh, I don't think that we qualified uh, for any of them. Okay. As, as I know there were also opportunities uh, to take out loans, um, which is an opportunity to take on debt. And, I, and, and while that may have kept some folks afloat for us, uh, it just was not a good decision for us. So let's talk about the biblical mindset about money. Let's talk, what exactly is that? Because you already mentioned Dave Ramsey, which you said you mm-hmm. started following him before he got really big. So where did that mindset come from? Because you already said personal finances was one of your hobbies. Yep. Well, at the same time I started listening to Dave Ramsey, uh, 
I was also starting to take my Christian faith more seriously. I, I had given my life to Christ in, when I was in the eighth grade. Mm -hmm. So I was about 13 years old at the time. But since then, I pretty much lived the way I wanted to. I mean, you would not know that I was a Christian unless I told you. And that's bad. And as I got older, I started to feel convicted about that. I started to recognize that I was a hypocrite. And I was especially a hypocrite in my attitudes, which I, I struggle with to this day. And one of the many things that I needed to change in my life was my attitude and my actions about money. Now, I'm ashamed to admit, I changed my behavior before I changed my attitude. Because <laughs> uh, I'm one of those people that if I wait until I feel like doing the right thing in order to do it, I'm never going to do it. That That is just the way I am. I'm, I can be very stubborn sometimes. And usually it's best that I just grit my teeth, just start doing the right thing, and kind of let my behavior drag my attitude to the party, so to speak. And I'm still working on that part. And I realized I needed to start adopting a biblical worldview about everything, including money. And that includes how I make money. You know, I, I have great organizational skills. I have good people skills. Uh, so I could probably be very successful as a pimp. But I'm not going to do that because that doesn't honor God. <laughs> and it also includes how I spend money. Yeah, I need to give, to save, and to spend and I need to do all three wisely. Uh, for example, I, uh, I have the most basic cable TV package that is available. And I would even cancel that and cut the cord entirely if I could. But I live in a condo and the cable TV is in the condo association's name, so I can't cancel it. Uh, but we don't pay very much for cable as a result. Uh, also, my wife and I, are part of a health sharing ministry of Christians helping other Christians with their medical bills. And this is in lieu of traditional insurance. So between the two of us, we pay about 350 a month. And we have the bonus of actually directly helping other people. Because the truth is, if I, if I belong to Christ, then Christ owns me. I mean, that's the definition of the world, the word. If my cell phone belongs to me, it means I own it. If I belong to Christ, then Christ owns me, and he owns everything that I have. Everything I have comes from God. I'm not the owner. I'm, mm. I'm really the manager. And I'm called to manage what he gives me in a wise way. So let's talk about that insurance that you were just talking about, the health insurance, because I know a lot of that, a lot, I've heard a lot of people do that. What exactly is involved with that? Well, I can tell you that it is, it's kind of a labor of love. I mean, you have to really want those savings and really want to stay on top of things. The, the concept of a health sharing ministry is, is really just like it sounds, it's people helping each other with uh, the medical bills. I, I have been a member of a few of them over the years. 
there's one model where you literally cut a check to, you know, James Stevenson of Fort Wayne, Indiana for however amount uh, is, is charged in, in the monthly. And, and you collect, uh, you know, the, the, the funds that you need that way to pay for medical bills. Uh, other times we send a monthly payment to a centralized location and that gets distributed either to healthcare providers or as a direct reimbursement. Now, the issue is it does take a little bit of effort because a lot of medical care providers are not entirely familiar with the concept. Even though there is a specific carve-out in the Affordable Care Act for folks who are part of a health sharing ministry. So that satisfies the individual mandate. But there's still some effort needed on the individual's part to educate their provider about what it is you are a part of because it is not insurance. And, 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 and granted, you can get some pushback when you say that. And some medical care providers will just say, then, you know, find somewhere else. And you know what? That's okay. Because there are other medical providers out there who either do understand the concept or are teachable about the concept. Uh, secondly, there is quite a bit of paperwork. You need all that documentation about the who, what, where, when, why, what you had done. Got to have a breakdown of the costs. The paperwork has to be sent in, needs to be evaluated. So there is, and there is a little bit of waiting time if you are due a reimbursement. So there is quite a bit of elbow grease involved, so to speak. However, it is cheaper than regular insurance. And, and furthermore, you're not paying for certain procedures that may not agree with one's values. Uh, I'll just leave it at that. Okay. So why did you get interested in doing that? Was it just because, you know, like, like you said, it was the ministry? It was because yes. from God? It was primarily the ministry uh, because I want to spend my money in a way that honors God. Um, and I had heard quite a bit about it from Dave Ramsey. I've also heard quite a bit about it from a uh, another Christian financial radio show uh, called Financial Issues. Uh, the host is Dan Celia. And I would heartily recommend him to listen to as well. I found him very educational. And uh, it was all part of my commitment to do right by God, to be obedient and to use what he has given me in the most honorable way. It just so happened that along with that decision, there is a cost savings involved. What other ways do you have a biblical mindset about money? Hmm. I would say... Uh, giving. Um, depending on who you talk to, uh, folks may say, well, we're, we're not uh, under the law anymore now that Jesus has, mm -hmm. has come. Uh, and so, you know, giving 10% is not mandatory anymore, and, and so forth. And uh, I know there's a verse out there that uh, no, there's a verse in the New Testament that says, well, each person should give what they've already determined they should give. And, and I can sort of understand that. Um, but then again, if, if we're not under the law anymore, does, does that mean murder is okay now and adultery is okay now? I, I, I think there's still a few laws still in effect. I, but then again, I'm not a theologian, so who knows? Uh, 
so that was part of it. And I, I, again, this was another example of needing to change my behavior and mm-hmm. eventually my attitude kind of comes along for the ride, but, uh, I needed to start giving, um, and supporting my local church and also investing, uh, Dan Celia, uh, who I listen to, um, um, has a philosophy about investing in biblically responsible companies. So that means uh, no companies that are in any way involved in producing or distributing pornography. And that eliminates most of the tech com- companies, certainly Facebook and Google. And so I don't invest in those companies. And he publishes a list of companies that are biblically responsible. And frankly, I have done very well by Dan Celia's system. I have learned that making my own investment decisions is a bad idea. I mean, mean, almost as bad as me trying to cook. I mean, it's that bad. I mean, I've managed to lose a lot of money very quickly because I thought I knew best. Mm -mm, Not so much. So you talked about biblically responsible companies besides that list that he's put out. What, how, what are some of the other ways that you can find out if a company's biblically responsible? I am glad you asked. And um, I'm going to give a free plug for Dan Celia. He publishes a uh, broad list uh, of li- companies that he has researched, that he has done the homework on that are biblically responsible, broken out by sector. So technology, healthcare, materials, consumer discretionary, consumer staples. And I just take my cues from that list, make sure I build a diversified portfolio of companies from that list, and I'm all set. It was that simple for me. So you mentioned you're in IT. So have you ever had to give up on a job because it doesn't align with your biblical values? That's a good question. Uh, Not yet. And uh, thankfully, I have been blessed to work with some very uh, wonderful people. Um, For me, it's, yeah, salary is important. I'm not going to lie. But equally, if not more important, are the people that you work with. And God has blessed me with some wonderful coworkers and wonderful bosses who saw something in me that I did not see in myself. And it's because of one of those great bosses that I'm even in IT at all. And that was 20 years ago is because because someone saw something in me that potentially she invited me to apply for an open position that she had. I got it. And the rest is history. And I've had many more great bosses since then. And I thank God for it. Wow, that's amazing because you weren't, you weren't, you said you weren't even looking for that. And then somebody said, Hey, apply for it. Yep, that, that's exactly how it happened. It was not something that I was looking for, but I, I, I tend to believe other people before I believe myself. Now, sometimes someone may have to encourage me more than once, more than twice, but I often say, Okay, be, because it's you, because you're saying it, I'll do it. Now, let's talk about, um, you mentioned in your bio that you're married to an immigrant. Your wife's from the Philippines. Am I correct? That's right. So let's talk about how you guys met because you said you're in, you're, you were born in Queens, New York, mm-hmm. and you have New York state of mind. You live in Connecticut. So how in the world did you guys meet? Well, a long time ago, 
uh, I decided that I would not be, as the Bible calls it, unequally yoked. If Jesus was the most important person in my life, then Jesus needs to be the most important person in my spouse's life. And I made that decision because otherwise, I'm practically inviting difficulties into my future marriage. Uh, I've been told that uh, religion is one of the top four causes of divorce. The number one being money. Money. And, and so I decided that I would only marry someone who was a committed Christian. Now, I live in Connecticut, which, as you know, not exactly in the Bible Belt. Mm-hmm. So that was a challenge. And now let's make things even more complicated because that's what I like to do. I am also child-free. I had decided when I was in my early 20s that parenting just was not for me. I didn't want the expense, didn't want the inconvenience, I didn't want the loud noises. And yes, some people call that selfish. It may very well be, but I've been called a lot worse. Mm -hmm. So, So I can live with it. So as you can imagine, those two things put together, finding someone suitable to settle down with was a challenge, to, to put it mildly. And it's not like I wasn't trying. I asked my friends if they knew anybody who was single. I did the speed dating. And of course, I was on every single website for people looking for love that was out there at the time. Uh, including a website called meetchristians.com. And it was a pretty amateurish site. Um, I I think somebody must have bought like a Websites for Dummies book and and set it up in in their basement uh, at the time. But it was free, so I joined. And after a few months, this woman from the Philippines contacted me through the site And she had a a very nonspecific message. I don't even remember what the first message was, but it was something vague, like, you know, I'd like to get to know you better or or something like that. Yeah, nothing that referenced my profile, nothing that mentioned my hobbies, my interests like Star Trek or Bob Dylan or, or running marathons or anything like that. And I had learned that messages like that usually came from a bot Mm -hmm. or some kind of scammer. And so I just made a habit of just anything like that, delete, ignore, move on. I cannot explain it, but that message I didn't delete, and I responded. And then she responded. And then I responded, and we had a conversation, and we hit it off. And we were... We were married in the Philippines the following year. It, it took another year for her visa to go through mm-hmm. so that I could bring her to the U.S. And she's been here with me now for almost 12 years, and it has been absolutely wonderful. Well, let's talk about it. You brought up the visa. Let's talk about immigration because I know all about it. I don't know if you can see right here. My husband's a native of Mexico. So oh. all about the immigration issues. So let's talk about the hoops because a lot of people think it's a lot. It's so easy to come to the U.S. Let's talk about the hoops that you have to go through mm. to get to the U.S. Well, the first I had to visit there. 
uh, which I did in April of 08, uh, because I needed evidence of, of us together. So photographs of, of us together. Uh, then I had to get uh, the green card application, and that, that was several, several pages of, of documentation, needed all of her information, all of my information, all of my financial information, and of course the, 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 the evidence and so forth. And that was just for the visa. That was just here to get here. Now, once she landed here, we had 90 days to get married, which we did. Uh, got married in, in the church that I grew up in. Now starts a whole nother process to get the green card. And that's another several pages, more, a couple, couple hundred dollars more. Mm-hmm. And and uh, more evidence, uh, and of course that takes a few months. There is fingerprinting involved. I had to take time off of work and then take her to the local immigration office in, in Hartford to, to get her fingerprinted. Mm-hmm. Also had to get her a social security number. And so finally, she she gets her green card. But that's just temporary resident status. Now we need permanent resident status. Because the green card is only good for two years. Got to get it renewed, this time for another 10 years. And now things really start to get serious. In addition to several more pages of documentation, several more hundred dollars, now I need to go out to my friends to write testimonies for us, to write to immigration saying that my marriage is not a sham. Mm And so I had to get written testimonies from them and mail all of that in. And then there was, I think there was a, an interview involved. And, and finally, finally, we got, she got her uh, permanent resident status. Oh, golly, I can't even remember that was. That probably would have been maybe, maybe say 2012 or something like that. And, and finally, 2000, 2019, I believe it was, uh, my wife finally got her citizenship. And that was a very happy day when, when I helped her study for the oral exam. We had the booklet of 100 questions. I quizzed her every single night. And, and, and it, was, it was a proud moment in, in both our lives. But, you know, she is still Filipino at heart. And I, I love that about her. And one of these days, I, I think we will retire to the Philippines. Let's talk about the citizenship thing, because we haven't quite done that yet. So let's talk about the the what you have to learn because basically what you have to learn the the regular american citizen doesn't know a lot of this information right <laughs> you are absolutely correct i bet most high school students could not pass the citizenship exam now of course you know it, it's different with me being in my late 40s you know we we actually learned things in school but uh and then i've actually heard within the last couple of months they've actually made the citizenship exam a little bit more difficult. I think instead of having to answer six questions correctly out of 10, I believe it's 12 out of 20. Mm. Uh, so so uh, with, with citizenship, it's it's a lot of forms to fill out. There's an appointment that needs to be made. Uh, all, all the while, I'm now having to get my wife's name put on all of my documentation in order to prove that we really are married and, and this is real. 
So this includes you know, a beneficiary on the life insurance policy as a beneficiary on all of my retirement plans, even getting her name added to the electric bill and the phone bill and sending copies of all of that to immigration. And uh, we, uh, her, her friend from the Philippines lives in uh, Iowa and she had gone for her citizenship and um, she described it to her. So Jane kind of knew what to expect. And uh, so it, it took a few months to get an appointment, but uh, I, I, I quizzed her just about every night. And then she, she was nervous, uh, understandably, but uh, everybody in our Bible study was praying for her and Thankfully, she had a lot of friends rooting for her, and she had a great support system, and was very, um, very gratified for that. Um, but Im immigration is not for the faint of heart. Mm -mm. You have so not, many hoops that you have to jump through. On both sides. On, mm -hmm. on both sides. Uh, I can remember one story that uh, my wife told me. As she was getting ready to interview at the U.S. Embassy in Manila, there was two stages. The first interview you had with a local Filipino who worked at the U.S. Embassy. If you passed that round, then you got to go for the second round interview, interviewing with an American who worked at the embassy representing immigration. As my wife was in the line, waiting to be interviewed she noticed other women in the line on their cell phones filling out the forms as they were waiting in line i mean talk about not being very well prepared mm -hmm. and she heard these women asking their fiancés questions like where do you live what is your last name mm -hmm. and yeah, as you might imagine, you know, she struck up a conversation with some of these women, and these were women in their in their twenties, you know, mid twenties, late twenties, marrying men in their late sixties, early seventies. So eventually, it was my my then fiance's turn to interview at the embassy. She sat in front of this this Filipino who happened to be from her hometown. Mm -hmm. And right away there was a connection and I can only describe that as providence mm -hmm. because there was that connection. And she, he said, Oh, you're from Gagandora. Did you bring me a pineapple? He, he, he made a joke and he looked at my information and he looked at my picture and he was aghast. He said, your husband is so young, which comparatively was true. I was two years older than she was instead of, 30 and he tells her i'm gonna send you to the nice one because mm. there, there were some folks who, who could be mean and very strict when it came to that second interview but he told her i'm gonna send you to the to the nice one and after a short interview with him he said welcome to the united states i can't explain that other than than providence i mean yes it could be coincidence but i choose to think not i choose to think not too because you can run into really major mean people in immigration that think they, especially in their own countries, that, that they work with immigration, they think, Oh, we're so much better than you. And they try to make it. So, so definitely I think it was Providence as well. Mm -hmm. 
So it's quite a story, and I'm, we're we're glad it's over. It was an interesting, it was an amazing experience. Not eager to uh, to do it again. <laughs> so basically, if you had to do it again, you might be on Ninety Day Fiance. Oh golly, no! <laughs> I don't want to be on a reality show ever. I, I don't I don't I don't know if I could do it. I, I think being on TV would make things even worse if that were possible. So what are, let's go back to the biblical mindset about money now that we've talked about your mm. wife. Um, what are some tips would you give for people that want to have that biblical mindset? Mm. That is great. I would, I would say start at the basics and start with, with God. You know, evaluate what, what your relationship is with God. Um, you know, um, do you go, do you, are you a member or are you even participating in a good Bible-believing church? I would say get into the habit of reading the Bible on a daily basis. That is so fundamental and, and developing a good prayer life. Uh, I, I am constantly having to reset and reevaluate my attitude toward God because I am prone to just assume things about God that are not true. And a lot of that comes from the popular culture that I'm not even aware of, that, that God is strict and he's mean and he's demanding. And the truth is he's loving mm -hmm. and he does have expectations of us, just like any parent would have expectations of their children, like don't touch the stove. Mm -hmm. The parent is not being mean. The parent is doing that so the child doesn't get burned. Now, the child doesn't always understand that, and we don't always understand that. But I would think open up, I would suggest opening up that door and just getting to know God and getting to know what God has to say about things like money and relationships and work. And it's all there in his word. And I think getting into community is also vitally important. Mm -hmm. Going to church on Sunday is great. But I would supplement that with a small group because that is where real work gets done, real healing for wounds that we've been carrying around for years, um, real encouragement, especially, you know, we need that from other men and the women need it from other women. Mm -hmm. I would say that that is where to start it, it is, is open up to the possibility of having that relationship about God. Let God introduce himself and get to know the real God, not what popular culture says about him. That brings me to another point. Popular culture and and, and organized, some organized religion is more that's almost to the point that they've turned people away from God because they're so judgmental. You can't do this. You can't do this. You can do this, but you can't do that. Or they take what the Bible says and forms it to the way they want it to think, say instead of what it's actually saying. Absolutely. And there are some churches like that. There, there are dysfunctional families. There are dysfunctional corporations and there are dysfunctional churches. And if you find yourself in that situation, find another church. Yeah. It, it's a, there are other churches out there. You're not married to the church. We, we are the church. Um, we, and as the church, we are married to Christ. So I would say find another church if you're not getting spiritually fed there or it becomes a, a dangerous or, um, you know, uh, I, would, I would say discouraging situation for you. And, and I, I think uh, small, small churches are, are better at 
um, administering God's love and, and educating the flock about him than, than these mega churches that you see on TV. And, and yes, organized religion, and it does get a bad rap. Uh, but I, I would say disorganized religion is, it could be even worse. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> so is there one thing that you want to leave people with, one little nugget that you would want to leave people with? I do. Uh, I just want to let your listeners know that there is a God and he is real and that you matter to him. And he already knows you and, and he wants you to get to know him. Uh, he has a plan for your life that is better than the life that you want for yourself. And if you've never opened a Bible before, I urge you to start reading it on a daily basis, just a couple of chapters a day. I would start with the Gospel of John. And after that, read Matthew, and then Mark, and then Luke, and then read the rest of the New Testament, and then read the Old Testament, and then read the whole thing again. You can read the entire Bible in just one year. There are plans, uh, scheduled to do that all over the internet. It will change your life. And I know that I can say that because it changed mine. Yeah, I, I so agree with you about reading certain chapters first and then going back and reading any year. I'm actually for the first time actually reading the whole Bible through the year. I'm doing one of those plans. It's with the Bible Hub, Bible Recap. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, right now we're like in Samuel and I'm like, yep. wow, all this stuff. And then but it's doing it chronologically. So at some point. That's you're how I in do it. Daniel, but then you're in Psalms, and then you're back in Samuel, or you're in First Chronicles. You know, it's skipping all around because it's doing it chronologically, so that you can see what's going on at the same time. That's how I do it. I find that's the easiest way for me to understand it, and it really puts things in a very linear uh, perspective. Yeah. So, where can people find you at? Uh, they can find me on LinkedIn. They can just search on my name. It's Christopher Borman, and that's Borman with two O's. They can also visit my YouTube channel, Christopher Borman Speaks, uh, where I posted some sample speeches. And let's talk about your YouTube channel real quick. Sure. What, what will people get when they get to your YouTube channel? Well, I occasionally I'll record and upload a short inspirational message uh, along the lines of some of the things that I've been discussing uh, with you to this afternoon. Uh, really just more in, informational, um, a little bit of evangelism there, but uh, really for the, not for the hardcore believer, but maybe someone who wants to know more about God and maybe someone who's been turned off by God in the past, maybe having, helping to unlearn some of the stuff that we've learned from popular culture that has not served us very well. Okay. Well, Christopher, I want to thank you so much for being on. I really enjoyed this chat and you've enlightened me on a lot of the biblical mindset. I'm going to go dig in more into Dave Ramsey. And who was the other person that you mentioned? Uh, that was Dan Celia. Dan Celia. Okay. I'm going to definitely research that, especially the biblically responsible companies that we're investing in. I highly recommend it. It's done very well for me. All right. Once again, Christopher, I want to thank you for being on. Well, thank you, Melissa. It's great to be here. I had a great time. Thank you again. All right, guys, we will see you on the next chat from the Block Cabin. Bye. 
chats from the blog cabin. Hit subscribe and don't miss the next episode.